0: Well, thanks, to Mika for putting that video together, and Christoph and Brandon and um, Matt for participating and maybe embarrassing yourself a little bit for us, but the camera does make us forget things sometimes. That's certainly true. I feel nervous about forgetting all 10 uh, when I'm up here as well. Um, at the start of the series, I mentioned Bishop Hooper, who was an Anglican bishop uh, and a martyr of the Reformation, and how he had quizzed his clergy because he figured supervising his clergy is maybe the best thing he could do. And he found that a lot of them didn't know these commandments and a shocking number couldn't even tell him where they were found. So if you know the Ten Commandments are in Exodus 20, you're already doing better than Bishop Hooper's clergy. And I think that we can also know all Ten Commandments. It's not that hard to do if we choose to do it together. So I want to encourage you. We're only halfway through. There's still plenty of time to remember the other five as well. And honestly, I feel like a couple of those guys did themselves no favors by trying to do them out of order. Because there is an order to these commandments. They come in a certain order. There's an intentional order to them. And if you remember the order, then you can remember the commandments a lot easier as well. The first three weeks, I hope you remember if you were with us, we talked about laws having to do with God. No other gods before God. No idols. No taking the Lord's name in vain. And then last week, we talked about a commandment that's still about God, but also about how we relate to each other. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Set it apart for God's use and make sure that everybody and everything can rest like God's rest. Young and old, male and female, slave and free, human and animal, rest for all creation. I challenged you to experiment with a little bit of Sabbath in your life to find six hours and most of you don't come to church until long after church has started so i didn't get to ask you how that went maybe i will ask you now did any of you find six hours and actually try to do some sabbath rest this week raise your hand we don't do this in church tamika keeps sabbath like all the time a few low hands raised lots of people didn't do it try again this week another encouragement for you six hours okay It's not, I don't think it'll be too hard, and I think you'll find it's good for you too. Then this week we'll continue on uh, with the command to honor your father and mother, and then we'll go through all the rest of the commandments about how we relate to each other. We shall not kill, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not bear false witness against our neighbors, shall not covet. So there's this order, commands about God, some commandments that I would say are maybe a bit of a transition between the two sets, and then commands about how we relate to each other. And this week is the first week where the command seems to be just about other people, that we should honor our parents. But I think that this one, too, is part of that two-commandment transition between the laws about God and the laws about people. And the reason I say that is because this commandment is first God speaking to his son, Israel. God, the father of Israel, issuing the command, honor your father. And that is what the earliest manuscripts of this text say. They stop at father, honor your father. God, the father, tells his son, Israel. And then after we understand that, we can see that it also is God speaking to us as individuals with human parents who we should honor as well. And this connects the two parts of the law between honoring God and honoring others that we should honor our parents. We are to honor our father and mother because we honor God, who is father of all and giver of all life. We are saying that those who bear a name that God bears, a name like father, who play an important part in our lives in some way and do some similar work to the work of God in our lives, that these people deserve honor we intentionally honor those in a special way who have participated in that godly work of giving life, whether by biology or by caring for us and sharing their life with us or by raising us up in faith. We honor those who give life to us, even as we honor the God who created us. Honoring God probably makes some amount of sense to us. We've gathered here in this place this morning, at least. But we may have trouble with the idea of honoring others. And we might have special trouble believing that we should honor some people to a higher degree over other people. For many of us, the very concept that some people ought to be held in special honor may be offensive. Well, some of us may come from honor-shame cultures like the people that these laws were first given to, like many Eastern cultures to this day, or like many indigenous peoples of North America, and we may understand what it is to honor another person, for many of us this is an unfamiliar concept. This commandment seems to move filial piety, faithfulness to one's family from the realm of subjective cultural values and experience towards the world of objective order of creation, the world as God created it to be. Now we live in a Western democracy where we have been told time and time again that all people are equal. And in terms of rights and access to what is necessary to live a good life, we certainly should agree and aspire towards such lofty goals. But these high ideals of equality have devolved to the point that some may believe that all thoughts should be equal to all other thoughts, that all people are in every way to be regarded equally. This, however, ought not to be true. We should realize as much the thoughts of physicians with regard to our health should be held in higher esteem than the ramblings of some self-described researcher on Twitter. Right? We, We know that, even though it seems like we've forgotten that as a culture. Similarly, the advice of a lawyer in matters of law should be weightier than even our own gut instincts and our own thoughts. And the wisdom and experience of those who are older than us, more experienced than us, or more gifted than we may be, should be honored as well. There are even a few vestiges of this way of thinking that linger in our own culture. That the prime minister is styled the right honorable, reminds us of a respect afforded to that office and a deference which is not conveyed by the very vulgar bumper stickers, which we are far more likely to see these days with regard to the Right Honorable Justin Trudeau. We have forgotten to hold him in honor. I think you know the bumper stickers I'm talking about. They're vulgar enough that I definitely couldn't make a slide with them either. But we've seen them. We know what they are. We've forgotten that we hold these people in honor. So too, we see that mayors are given the honorific her worship, that judges are addressed as your honor, and even that ministers are styled the reverend. All of these pointing to a latent understanding, even in our own culture, that certain people in certain positions in our lives and in the world are worthy of special honor and respect. In these commandments, some people are explicitly and inherently commanded to receive a special measure of honor. There is a hierarchy that's kind of assumed and propagated by these commandments, and while the very notion of a hierarchy of any sense might make our skin crawl, we must contest with the fact that this is the assertion of the Scriptures, that God created all things and reigns over all, that human beings were created to rule over the earth and to care for it, to govern it well. That parents are given a special degree of authority and responsibility over their children. That all earthly authority must first come from God. That even the one who humbled himself to be as we are and who chooses not to call us servants but friends, even Jesus Christ, we call Lord and Master. The world, as God ordered it, calls for honor to be shown and for glory to be revealed. That even relationships which we did not choose, things and people that we did not choose for ourselves, still have weight to them. And this commandment points us, begins to point us in that direction. Honor your father and mother. First, this commandment's most plain reading points us to our parents, that they must be honored. Perhaps some of the parents whose children went up to Sunday school a little while ago were hoping that we'd keep them in the service today to hear about this commandment. Or when they heard Gabby read the scripture, they wanted to call them back urgently. You have to hear this. This is often a favorite commandment for parents of young children who need their children to be broadly obedient to them for their own safety and well-being. However, that is not the primary audience for this commandment. This commandment wasn't just God saying, okay, come on, children, 10 and under, come up here, listen to your parents. That's not what's happening here. The primary audience for this commandment is adult children of aging parents. It's people who are likely to not honor their parents very much at all anymore. And we are told, honor your father and mother. So what is it to offer honor to another person? In his Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin summarizes that honor comprises reverence, obedience, and gratefulness. God is saying, respect your parents. Obey your parents. Be grateful to your parents and be grateful for your parents. These are the actions which God calls us to in all of our life. But first, with our parents. So why? Why our parents? Well, our relationships with our parents are usually the first relationships people have. And they become the paradigm through which all our other relationships are defined and affected. So our first relationships are called to become relationships of honor. There are certainly limits to this honor. This is not a carte blanche on obeying your parents. Our obedience can only go so far. We cannot disobey God in an effort to obey our parents. In fact, if we were to do so, we would certainly dishonor them. But we are called to honor them. We are called to be self-sacrificing in their regard. And it will be inconvenient, it will even be costly at times, to truly honor our parents. There are so many stories of people coming from other cultures to visit North America or to move here, and just being appalled by the way we treat our elders, that they receive so little care from their families, that they end up living in inadequate conditions with few visitors or activities. And at the beginning of this pandemic, I think many of our eyes were opened to the conditions that many seniors lived in. It revealed to us many of the problems with how we treat the elderly in our society. We are not, however, the first people, the first culture to behave in such a way toward our parents. And in Matthew 15, which Gabby read for us, it is just such a culture which Jesus speaks into. There was a tradition by this time that one could declare their assets to be given to God, and this would excuse them from any need to pay for the care and basic needs of their parents as they aged and began to depend on their family. And we might think, that's fair enough. If I give all my money to the church or to a charity, how can I possibly care for my parents? But this is where we're missing the context, because you didn't have to give it away. You just had to say that it was devoted to God. And otherwise, it would continue to be yours to do with as you pleased until you died. At that point, it would go to the temple to God's purposes. So really, what these people were saying is just, I'm not going to take care of you. But I'll say after, I'm die, after I die, after I have no use for this anymore, then the temple can have this money. And the religious authorities were happy with that. The religious authorities said, okay, you don't need to care for your parents that'll be more left over for us when you're gone too. This excuse does not please Jesus. God says, honor your father and mother. But you say, only insofar as it doesn't cost me anything. Jesus was just as scandalized by his culture's treatment of their elders as many are scandalized of how we care for our parents. Jesus is scandalized And he's scandalized in part because he has a relationship with his father. Jesus, the eternal son of God, has a relationship with God the father, wherein Jesus gives God honor. Jesus honors God. Jesus respects God's commands, defers to his father's will, is obedient even to the point of death, and is grateful for the relationship he enjoys with his father and grateful for the things which his father entrusts to him. God the Father, in turn, chooses to glorify his Son. The Father doesn't receive honor from God the Son only to then speak ill of him, only to then express his profound disappointment in him, only to then ignore him. No, none of this. He glorifies the Son even as the Son gives honor to the Father. You see, this commandment exists such that our relationships between parents and children might reveal something which is true about God within God's very self. But there is a pattern of giving honor and receiving glory, which the father and son mutually participate in out of love for each other. In Peter J. Lightheart's The Ten Commandments, he writes, Young children glorify parents while parents raise their children to glory. Adult children honor their parents materially, while parents praise their children. In keeping the fifth word, family life comes to reflect the mutual honor that is the communion of the living God. For those of you who still have parents, do you weigh your parents' opinions seriously, or do you dismiss them out of hand? Do you help your parents when they need assistance? Do you speak well of your parents to other people? And even if your parents are deeply problematic and need to repent of wrongdoing and seek healing in their life, and I know that is some of our stories with our parents, if that's the case, do you desire that for them? Or do you wish them ill? And parents, it doesn't say it, but this command does have reciprocal expectation on you. Do you speak well of your children? Do you desire the best for them, for their sakes, and not only to live your life through theirs? Do you desire to support them and give them whatever they need for their good? Are you seeking to glorify them, even as they bring you honor? We are certainly called to honor our parents. But this commandment doesn't stop there. That's where the words stop, but the tradition of the church and the tradition of God's people goes a lot deeper The church has long held this commandment is not only to do with biological parents. In the Westminster Longer Catechism, question and answer 124. That's a lot of questions and answers. But this one says, who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? That's the question. What does God mean when God says father and mother? And the answer is, by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority whether in family in church or in commonwealth so where do we see this in scripture it's nice that the confession of our church says that but where does God's word say that in 1st timothy paul encourages timothy to behave honorably toward older men and women in the church as fathers and mothers In following Jesus, we have been adopted into a new family with new parents for us to hold in honor. And those of us who are older now have new children for us to seek to glorify. This commandment is not only for our family of origin, but also for this, the family of faith. Filial piety finds new boundaries, and those boundaries are the waters of baptism wherein Jesus gives us to each other as new family that we might hold each other in honor for the Lord's sake. So what should honoring each other in the church look like? Well, first, I have to say what it doesn't look like, because it's become incredibly popular in these days to speak ill of fellow Christians, especially those who disagree with us on this issue or that issue and we will more quickly speak in dishonoring ways about our fellow Christian with someone outside of the church who we happen to have political alignment with, than we would try and love and serve the one who we disagree with, honoring them in our speech and seeking mutual understanding in our relationships with them. We are called to hold one another in honor by this commandment and to handle our disagreements within the family as much as possible as a sign of respect, and gratitude toward each other. So too, we who are younger in the faith should hold with great weight the thoughts and guidance of those who have been following Jesus for longer than we have, that we might learn from them and receive them as a gift from God for our walk in faith with great joy and with gratitude, and that they also might come to delight in our growth in the Lord, that we would honor them and that they would seek to glorify us. More than those who are older than us, however, also those who have been called to lead us from a place of authority are to be given honor. Again, First Timothy makes this clear. As Paul writes, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, I admit that's an awkward verse for me to read to you while preaching, but I include it for your benefit and not for my own. We are governed by elders, called by God, and recognized by this congregation. And do we hold them in honor? Do we pray regularly for them? Do we submit joyfully to their leadership? Or do we find that more often than not, we grumble about the session? rather than speaking well of those saints who give themselves diligently for the good of the church and do you take the guidance of your pastor seriously honestly i don't mind if you call me pastor or reverend or nick that's quite all right with me but if you hold me in honor i hope you listen well when i preach that i it might draw you nearer to god's love for you and if you seek my counsel i hope that you would weigh it well and consider it as maybe something which God is using to lead you in the right direction. And if you have a problem with me, and I'm sure some of you do, I hope that you would come to speak to me about it, trusting my desire to see you flourish and this church flourish for the good of our neighborhood and the continuing revelation of God's kingdom in our midst. This is all for your benefit That together we might keep this command of God to honor those who God has placed in authority over us. We say that we long to see God's kingdom come. We pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so these commandments continue to call us to practice heaven on earth. Practice it now because it's going to be the way of the world for all eternity. Even as last week we named that Sabbath is the way of God's kingdom, which we rehearse in the world, claiming rest and restoration when exhaustion and brokenness are the hallmarks of life. So too, this week we acknowledge that honor is the posture of God's kingdom, and it is the dynamic of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. So we practice honoring those who God has given to us, those who participated in bringing life to us, and those who continue to participate in revealing life to us in these days, those who God has called to have authority over us. We honor these people and we keep God's command, experiencing the goodness of honoring others now, and by keeping his command, we bring honor to our Heavenly Father. So too, we pray that those who we honor would seek our good, seek to glorify us even as we know one day in jesus christ god our father will also glorify us we do not only honor those who are good to us jesus reminds us that even the pagans do that but we honor those who god has commanded us to honor because we want to be participants in the rule and reign of king jesus in our lives today even as we anticipate the fullness of that reign in the world which is to come. Jen Wilkins offers a concluding thought in her chapter on this commandment, and really, I couldn't think of any better way to end this sermon, so hear these words. She writes, Why obey the fifth command? To borrow a line from our parents, because God said so, and because in doing so, we act like citizens of heaven. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. there are there's a question and an invitation to prayer for you and if we could pop it up on the screen that would be helpful to me um, so the question for you to think about is what do you find challenging about holding others in honor who is it a particular challenge for you to hold in honor so a question for reflection for journaling for you to sit with and then an invitation to pray pray that god would help us to keep this command as a sign of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So we'll give you two minutes to begin this work of reflecting and praying now, but this is an invitation you can carry with you through the week as you wrestle with this commandment. How is God calling you to honor others to participate in his kingdom today?